Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. It's Ken Carmen in for John Kincaid this Sunday morning only. 855-212-4CBS. 855-212-4227. Send the tweets. Send them hot at Ken Carmen C-A-R-M-A-N. Taking Patriots versus Rams today. Who do you got winning? Why do you got to win? It's all throughout the show. 855-212-4CBS. This is the beauty of it. There's good reason to hate both teams. We got five burning questions coming up next. We got Miles Simmons, LA Rams team insider broadcaster. He joins us at 7.40 a.m. Eastern. There's really good reasons to hate both these teams. I mean, with the Patriots, Belichick and Brady, you could do whole shows on. And we've done them in the past. Not just why do you hate them, but there's plenty of reasons why you hate either one of those guys. The, the AFC East alone, if you're one of those other fans, if, if you're not a fan of an AFC East team, then you hate the AFC East for not being able to be good, and you hate the Patriots for being able to blast the AFC East and basically getting six wins every single year. I know they have a couple of bugaboos here and there, and they never play well down in Miami, but still, it's just about five or six wins every year that they get handed to them because the other teams can't get their head out of certain places. You don't like Julian Edelman. Maybe you don't like Bob Kraft. Maybe you don't like Pats fans themselves. The older Pats fans, and there's a generational divide. We get older Pats fans who call us. Those are the ones that go, you know what? You get it, and I like you. Some of the young ones, they can rub you the wrong way because they've never seen the Patriots lose. They've never seen it. They don't remember the bad years. They don't remember when they found out like Tony Easton is not that good or when they found out any of the other bad things, when, when things went to hell with Ron Meyer and everything. They don't remember those ones. They've known nothing but greatness. And then the story they hear before was Parcells taking Drew Bledsoe to the Super Bowl and then losing to one of the all-time great teams and one of the all-time greats and Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers. That's still good football. They never heard that. There's there's always the term, the bleep in Patriots. So that'll upset some people. For the Rams, people love the Rams. They love Sean McVay. They love a fresh face. They love a nice guy. Jared Goff seems to be nice. He looks like the kid from the sandlot with his glasses on. So everybody seems to love him. There's plenty of reasons to hate the Rams as well. Stan Kroenke, well, he moved a football team. Got very heavy-handed in doing so. They play in a great, big, huge, cavernous stadium that is not really meant for NFL football in, in 2019. Les Snead basically falls bass-ackwards into this coach and this quarterback. If Sean McVay, why can't I have a nice young football coach? Why can't he end up, why can't he be the next Lane Kevin? No, he ended up being the next Sean McVay. There's bitterness, there's jealousy, but that doesn't mean you don't hate him. And, of course, there's the L.A. fan, which if there's any team... Laker fan would have an argument with this, but if there's any team that's really true blue L.A. going back, it might be the Rams. You've always had that that big groundswell of fans in L.A. who wanted to keep the Rams, who wanted to bring the Rams back. It's different from the Raiders when the Raiders were there. It's different from some of the other teams there. There's Dodger fans maybe. 
I think the most ardent fan base, Laker fan will get upset, but the most ardent fan base, I think, probably would be Rams fans. But it's L.A. If you're not from L.A., you're not a big fan of L.A., and you're certainly not a big fan of L.A. sports fan. It just seems to be superficial. 855-2124-CBS. All right, I'm ready to get into it, and I'm not. I'm going to make it quick because we got to get out a little earlier because i got to fit in five burning questions today. I, I know, and this is always the one that gets people going, Bill Belichick's done a fantastic job. We had a caller earlier, Gary in Tennessee, who says that they need to rename the Lombardi Trophy, the Belichick Trophy, that in today's NFL, Vince Lombardi wouldn't be able to hold the jock of Bill Belichick, which was a boiling hot take. I don't think it was necessarily true, but people look at Bill Belichick and they think, man, he's a soothsayer. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because Tom Brady is a handsome guy. Maybe it's because of who he dates. He seems to be, even though he seems to be certainly more gregarious in the personal life, and you can ask Gary Myers about this, seems to be more gregarious, more affable than Peyton Manning. But Peyton Manning represents things that regular people buy. Tom Brady represents Boulevard watches or Tissot timepieces, things that are pretty expensive. But Tom Brady seems to be more like the regular guy out there. But boy, people hate Tom Brady, and they really hate it when you give Tom Brady the bulk of the credit for what the Patriots have done. Bill Belichick's been a fantastic coach. I think Bill Belichick, as long as he would actually give you an answer, while he's done a great job and would probably want his credit, let's not act like the guy doesn't have an ego either, while he would want his credit and deserves credit. Let's not act like Tom Brady isn't the one out there stirring the drink. Let's not act like Tom Brady isn't the one out there completing the passes. If anybody could do it, Bill Belichick still would have been able to go to the playoffs with Matt Castle. Well, Ken, they were 11-5. and five. Yeah, they didn't go to the playoffs. Would Tom Brady have made the playoffs with an 11-5 and five football team? Would he have been better than 11-5 and five had he had stayed healthy that year? I'd probably bet. Matt Castle still went to the playoffs with the Kansas City Chiefs. But we get that argument thrown in our faces all the time. Jacoby Brissett, we don't know if Jacoby Brissett is bad. Played pretty well in New England. Played pretty decently in Indianapolis. For the most part, had some turns of the games. And obviously, we've had these conversations about Jimmy Garoppolo. If we want to give credit, I still have to give it to the guy who's out on the field completing all of this. Today's advantage, it's not just young versus old with Bill Belichick versus Sean McVay and who can play the game a little bit better. It's about what players don't falter. And why I'm taking the Patriots today, Bill Belichick will always be a part of that. But Tom Brady is what makes that happen. It's not the conversation of getting to Bill Belichick. All of a sudden, your brain doesn't work all of a sudden. That's not the case. It's the body being able to hold out of Tom Brady, being able to get back to the postseason, being able to complete the mastery of what it is. Every great coach, and Bill Belichick is a great coach, the greatest. Every great coach still needs incredible players. If it's not Tom Brady who's the best quarterback ever, then it becomes Joe Montana. Joe Montana ran one of the greatest systems in NFL history in the West Coast offense devised by, partly, by Bill Walsh while he was in Cincinnati. Bill Walsh, one of the greatest innovators, one of the greatest intellectual football coaches that we've ever seen in in any time, whether it be modern or old. But I don't think that was really working with a quarterback that didn't have great talent and a guy who could do what was necessary to complete the footwork, to complete the pass, to do what needs to be done, to do the film study, to be able to carry out 
what the message is from a Bill Walsh. Like Tom Brady's able to carry out what the message is from Bill Belichick. To be able to deal, to be a conduit to some of those players. If Tom Brady wasn't the leader and wasn't the player to be able to back up that leadership, do any one of these players really follow Bill Belichick? Do we have to go by with what happened in Cleveland at the end, even though it was the Baltimore football team that fired Bill Belichick, not the Cleveland Browns? Hey, I, I, I think Bill Belichick's great. He is. He's the best football coach ever. He's, he's really successful. He's had great players. And he would probably have to tell you in a moment of pure honesty, yeah, you need great players. You need those guys. John Wooden would say it the best. Everybody, what's your secret, John? What's your secret? I recruit the best players. Get the best players. Play the best. You give yourself the best chance to win. Get guys who can listen to you. Get great players who can listen to you. Tom Brady's a great player who can, who can carry out what needs to be done and is unflappable in those moments. And the times that he has been flapped, they become all-time great moments because they happen so infrequently. When you compare him to the other quarterbacks of his generation where you say, oh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger will give you three or four chances a game to win. Hey, Aaron Rodgers, maybe the pressure's getting into him a little bit later. Hey, Phillip Rivers, hey, you know, is he always going to be able to keep his head on straight when it matters most? You bring up all these quarterbacks, it always gets questioned. With Tom Brady, no. And then if it ever happens, they become all-time big moments in NFL history because he's that good. He's that much better than anybody else. And if you have to pick between the two, it's got to be Tom. 855-212-4CBS. Coming up next, five burning questions. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. Well, since Pierno... Sounds like, according to a caller, an old Italian woman. And he does. He so- I mean, he sounds like he's been smoking Lucky Strikes all morning. We go to Brian McKeon. It's time for five burning questions. McKeon, hit me. Some kiss. I love it, Ken. So I didn't we'll- pick it. You guys pick it. every <laughs> si- when, you, when you first made it, it wasn't you, but somebody picked it. I didn't pick it. Go ahead. Well, Luke Walton, he had an emotionally charged verbal exchange <laughs> with uh, the veteran team members of the Lakers following their 115-101 to loss to the Warriors last night. Walton was preaching the importance of teamwork after the loss when he was reportedly challenged by several veterans. Those included Lance Stevenson, Michael Beasley, and JaVale McGee. But later reports claimed that the argument involved Beasley, McGee, and Josh Hart. This comes on the heels of the report during the week that said that Jason Kidd could succeed Walton as head coach if L.A. decided to make a change. Ken, how much longer will Luke Walton survive as head coach? Maybe till the end of the year, and that's it. If they continue to be the disappointment that they are, because it's amazing. LeBron has been, he's been letting his camp talk this time. Usually he's been sending his own subtle jabs here and there. Now there was basically a shot across the bow when you're thinking about a guy like Anthony Davis. However, LeBron has been relatively quiet in this entire matter. You know that he never gets along with coaches. He never has until the last time he got along with a coach was high school with Drew Joyce and Keith Dambrot. That's it. Everybody else he knows more than. He questions. He outwardly questions. He gets into it with. It will never, ever be. a. He reached a decent. The best part that he reached was when he was with Eric Spolster in Miami. That was the best mix that he reached. And we still talked about firing Eric Spolster at the beginning of that because he was bumping into him, saying some nasty things, talking about guys crying in the locker room and whatnot. It's just basically commonplace. If you coach LeBron, LeBron talks about wanting to be coached, and then he goes and he does these type of things where he ends up with these basketball teams, and the first 
piece that gets blamed is always going to be the head coach. You know, everybody wants to coach LeBron. Nobody wants to coach LeBron. You would always want that type of talent. And then the problems that come with it are just too much. And we're not even talking really about LeBron James himself. We're talking about other players in this case. But when it starts with him, when you have that much pressure on a guy who's still at the end of his prime now, starting to think about the other things in life, still trying to challenge for something, still trying to challenge himself, uh, I think it's an impossible place to be in. The Phil Jackson ship sailed long ago. I don't know who comes in and wrangles him in. I don't know if Jason Kidd will because Jason Kidd was a former player. So what? Ty Lue was a former player. People still wanted Ty Lue the hell out of there during last year. So if you want to give me Jason Kidd, all right, there will be another problem that I'm sure will get brought up at some point. We always talk about LeBron having the best IQ on the floor, and he does. He knows great things about basketball, obviously, and knows far more than a lot of guys on the floor. But that can also be a curse as well. And I think at times that's came up and that's bit LeBron and it's bitten him with Miami and Cleveland twice and probably a little bit with the Lakers as time goes on. Next. So, Ken, from one legendary legendary successful franchise to another, oh. the New York Knicks appeared to have engaged in a fairly rushed process to trade Chris Tapps Porzingis. Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated reported yesterday that rival teams have made it quite clear that they were shocked that Porzingis was available and it appears that few teams were really able to reach out to the Knicks before the unicorn was dealt to the Mavericks. So the Knicks liked the da- Dallas's deal, and for better or worse, took it immediately instead of checking around the league to see if they could find something better. New York will not have the ability to sign two max players this summer, but Ken, did the Knicks make the right move in trading Porzingis? I don't think it was a bad move. If it was rushed and they could have gotten some more, that sounds, first off, that sounds quintessential Knicks. Now, I got to figure out what's right out of here because you remember, Brian, earlier this week, it seemed that they were putting the onus on Chris Tepp's Porzingis trying to make him look bad going out the door when they might have had the intention to do it. It just seems that this could be done on the other side to make the Knicks look bad. I think it probably was a bit of a rush move because it just sounds very Nixonian in that case. So probably yes. However, it could have been the best move. You have space. You have a team now. You're sitting Emmanuel Moutier. You have a chance now to really lose some games and look bad. You can get rid of David Fisdale, that poor bastard. You can get rid of David Fisdale after this year, bring in two max slot players, depending on how the ping pong balls fall for you. And I know it's you and four other teams that basically have the same chances now. So it makes it a little bit more tricky, but if you end up getting that number one all number one overall pick, you got two max slots, and you more than likely have Zion Williamson coming in, who will sell tickets. You're sitting in the catbird seat. Now that all seems well and good, except it's still the Knicks. And for as much as everybody says that New York's the mecca of basketball, nobody seems to want to go there. And they all want to. They'll go there to watch a game over at Rucker Park, but they don't want to seem to go to the Knicks to play basketball for the Knicks. Ownership, got to be careful. We know James Dolan gets a little sensitive about that. Ownership, for the Knicks, I've never seen a franchise struggle like this. I don't think we'll ever see a franchise struggle like this that's born on third base. You're in the home of basketball in America where you find some of the best natural talent in America, where you find some of the most ardent basketball fans in America. And really, you've been a disappointment. You, when you've won two championships, you've been a disappointment. In 1970 and 73, you're, well, your greats are, are, I got Dave DeBusher. Hey, he was great, but I mean, come on. The Knicks have been a complete and utter disaster, and that's obviously being nice about it. They've given themselves, though, a golden opportunity to get out of this hell.
And and Brian, I know you're from Staten Island. Can you believe this? What I'm about to tell you? Let's hear it. They're my second favorite basketball team. Oh God, poor thing. Are you a, are you a Knicks fan? I'm not. I don't really have a basketball team. Oh really? Yeah. Save. Can myself. I interest you in a, in a nice New York Knicks? No, you can't. <laughs> Continue. So the Kansas athletic director, Jeff Long, he got emotional Saturday in his response to the NCAA's punishment of sophomore forward Silvio DeSosa. He was declared ineligible for the season and next because his guardian received benefits from an agent. I have always respected the NCAA and trusted the process, but I must tell you that my faith has been shaken. This came from Long. We stand behind our student-athletes when we believe they've been wronged. Ken, is there any reason to have faith in the NCAA? No. No. Why would he ever have that? I know he's a, he's an AD, so he has to say that because he's got to get along with the NCAA there, but no offense to you, Brian. This is almost like shooting fish in a barrel with this question because it's not that easy to stand with the NCAA. No one wants to stand with the NCAA. Unless you're getting paid Mark Emmert money, no one wants to stand with the NC2A. Who wants to do that? It's much easier to take shots at them, and rightfully so, because it is an organization that consistently contradicts itself, that says it's for the betterment of the student-athlete, but in its highest-profile sports, which are football and men's basketball, it has consistently failed. And any other story that we ever hear is always overwhelmingly negative. It's a sports entity that's just like anything else. As long as they're able to wet their beak... They will be satiated. If they are not wetting their beak, they'll be upset about it. And here we have another case. D'Souza's person, who, who his guardian is, takes a kickback from an agent. Well, that's not supposed to be done. Well, if it's the guardian on the kid, which you could always say, well, the kid's going to see some money out of that some way, somehow, as well. That's fine. I'm sorry that he got caught. I'm sorry that that happened to them. I, I do feel bad for him. I don't really feel bad for Jeff Long. I do feel bad for him. In that case, because it's made this very ugly. But overall, the NCAA is still always going to be that entity. If they don't get their cut, they're going to come down on you. It's the same thing as taxes. Everybody's happy as long as taxes get brought out here. And now we're going to get into a real big conversation. As long as the taxes are paid, as long as Uncle Sam gets his beak wet, things will be fine. If you cut out the middleman, if you cut out Uncle Sam, you're going to have hell to pay. It's the same thing with the NCAA. Your pie just becomes a little bit smaller. And it's just, who cannot get caught? So at, at this point, I'm so unsurprised by this, it makes me wonder, what did you do to get caught? Next. Ken, about a year ago at this time, the guy who normally fills this time slot, John Kincaid, was getting ready to celebrate his first championship as an Eagles fan. Mm. Now, the Eagles are expected to use the franchise tag on quarterback Nick Foles and then mm. trade him this offseason, according ah. to a report from Adam Schefter. Sources told Schefter that Eagles are expected to pick up Foles' $20 million option in the next week. Foles could then pay the Eagles $2 million to cancel out the option. If he does so, the Eagles would then place the franchise tag on the quarterback and have the ability to trade him. Ken, in your opinion, where is Foles going to wind up next season? Oh, there's so many good places for him. In division, there's two possibilities that you could bring up. I'm not sure if the Giants are going to do that. They would probably draft the quarterback. The Redskins could be in that same possibility. Miami is a distinct location, even though, boy, from all indications, it seems that they are not really thrilled about participating and competing in 2019. Uh, Jacksonville is always always going to get brought up there. Denver, it seems so constrictive because of Case Keenum's cap number. Uh, what the hit is if you were to let go of him. 
uh, what the, what the money is based on that. I don't know if the, if Denver's really the best situation, but John Elway might be crazy enough where he could try to make it work. Can I share this theory with you while Please we're doing this? Enlighten us. If I were the Eagles, I say you're trading the wrong guy. What do you think of that? It's definitely food for thought. Can I can I can I lay some out for you real quick? I know that we have one more, and then of course we have to get to Miles Simmons. Say you keep Nick Foles, say you trade Carson Wentz. Could I or could I not get two ones for Carson Wentz? You should, yeah. Maybe. Okay, could I get could I get another third for Carson Wentz? Absolutely. Okay, I would ask you for a second, but I'll probably get a third. So I get two ones and a third for Carson Wentz. You said maybe even more, but let's put it there, okay? So I get two ones and a third for Carson Wentz. I pay Nick Foles that money. Nick Foles is my quarterback. I sign him to the deal. I keep him there, and then I have two first-round picks to work with. Nick Foles has ran the offense well. Nick Foles has always – they've always seemed to play better with Nick Foles. I think it's because they mind their P's and Q's better with Nick Foles. I think they've put a little bit too much on Carson Wentz at the time. But still, say you trade away Carson Wentz, you get two ones and a third. If Nick Foles then doesn't work work out, if he does work out, great. I have my quarterback and things are good. If he doesn't work out, then I do have the ammo where I can then turn around, because I'll be given time. I've just won a Super Bowl if I'm Doug Peterson. Unless the bottom completely falls out, then you'd be in a position to draft a good quarterback anyway. But I can use the ones as leverage to be able to move up in a better draft class and be able to get a quarterback. Is that the craziest idea you've ever heard? It's not at all. You can disagree during this too, McKeon. It's okay. No, I know. It's it's a thing that's gone on in my head a lot is the debate okay. is if is it worth keeping once the guy that you – risked your franchise for, and traded a lot to get. Remember, that draft pick, they gave up a lot of capital to get that mm-hmm. draft pick. So, I mean, I, I, personally, I would go with Wentz because I think there's more pers- there's more talent there. There but it I is. could see both. I really could. All right, number five, go. Just in case you didn't know, Ken, the Super Bowl is a big business for the food industry nationwide. It Americans is. plan to spend an average of $81 to celebrate the big game. We do. According to a National Retail Federation survey of 7,300 adults, that was. That figure, including money spent on decorations, food, and other expenses, adds up to $14.8 billion. That's with a B, Ken. Go-to snack. Chicken wings are the top choice when it comes to the big game. According to the National Chicken Council, Americans will eat more than 1.3 billion wings during this year's Super Bowl which is up 2%, or 27 million wings from last year. Didn't even know there was a National Wing Council or Chicken Council. Mm-hmm. Of course there is. What will Ken Carmen be scarfing down on Super Bowl Sunday this year? I'm a big pizza guy. Um, I'm sure there will be some bagel bites around today. We're having people over. I'm not too thrilled about that, but that's for a story later on in the show. Uh, we are having people over. Uh, I think Lizzie did get some bagel bites, but yeah, I'll, I'll be having pizza. The wings, I'm not sure about the wings. We'll see. Can I interject it, something for just a moment? Peter, sorry, of so, course. I'm sorry to I, interrupt. But you, know, you, don't, you don't need to apologize. You caught my attention encouraged. with the food discussion at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, so I am very, very excited, not so much for the game, but my wife makes this incredible buffalo chicken dip. It is like the greatest thing, and I am really looking forward to She is hard at work right now preparing this dip as part of many things she's uh, cooking up for, for later on this evening. That's good. But the buffalo, I just wanted on record how much I appreciate my wife, Cheryl, and the buffalo chicken dip that I am going to devour uh, shortly around 6.30 Eastern time. So are tonight. we invited all to the Schwartz residency? No, we no. lost. 
No. Well, it's that's a shame, too, because if you go over there, you get to watch Peter eat it with his shirt off because you don't want to get anything on that sweet-ass Kevin Mawai jersey he's wearing. I love, that thing true. is mint. I saw pictures, Peter. You yes. look good in that jersey. Oh, you know what? If there was a um, if there was a little silver lining in the broken hip situation over yeah. the last six months, yeah. the fact that I have lost a significant amount of weight, you know, oh. the hospital stay, the rehab, yes. the physical therapy – I, I've dropped this this jersey six months ago. Might not have gotten on my finger. Look at this guy. And now, and now it fits. I was so happy this morning when I pulled oh, it out of the man. closet and I slipped it out. I'm like, oh wow, I could wear this jersey now. There you go. Oh, and that's I'm more, beautiful. More than happy to be photographed in Kevin's jersey. Ken, you should see the ladies out on the street when Peter leaves the building every week. Oh yeah, it's, it's got to be hot stuff. <laughs> it's got to be hot stuff, baby. You're listening to Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. Tom Brady leads the Patriots to their third straight Super Bowl against a young team with a quarterback in Jared Goff and the Rams. The Super Bowl Today team, J.B. Phil, Coach Nate and Boomer, cover every angle before kickoff with coverage beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on CBS. All right, coming up next, we'll do the whole... Who's going to win? And why do you got him winning? I got the Patriots. I'm sorry. I really am sorry because I do welcome in a close personal friend who joins me on the hotline right now. He is Team Insider of the LA Rams. Should have said that last break. Probably not this one. Find him on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Miles Simmons joins us on the show. Hello, Miles. Hello, Ken. Not only did you just say that as I did on the show, but did you notice that your intro music was Loser? But, yeah, I know. You know? Yeah, so, that wasn't that wasn't yeah, your I, fault. I, that was yeah, that wasn't for you. I'm I, sorry. I feel a little personally attacked. I'm not gonna lie. Well, you know, I mean, it, uh, <laughs> depending on the the things I've said to you before, I think that's one of the light ones to put there. Yeah. Now, okay. now, yeah. Uh, go ahead, play uh, it again, McKee. Uh, you played uh, through the whole interview. Yeah. There we go. My God. All right. You've woken up this morning in Atlanta. You were on the precipice of the of Super Bowl Fifty Three, a chance where okay. Let me, first off. If they win, you are the team insider. You are a, a person with the L.A. Rams. If they win, do you know whether or not you get a ring? I don't. But you know what? We'll see. You, uh, oh, you don't know if you though. get a ring. Okay, okay. I don't. But you know what? You know what, Ken? I mean, I didn't. I'm not going to play. So you know that that's yeah, the way but I you should. Now, because now we're doing the whole thing where everybody gets a ring. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're from Cleveland. You know, Dan Gilbert got everybody a ring. Now they didn't have the right. players' ring. I'm not saying you should get the players' ring. Not saying uh, that. I, I, I wouldn't say that either. Yeah, so there you go. So I well, if they win today, I do hope you get a ring because I do I do like you, and obviously I do care about you, Miles. And Miles Simmons joins <laughs> us on the show. Yeah, it's all true. Uh, Miles, first off, though, I think a lot of people do care and like the Rams, and they do like and they care about Todd Gurley, who was little used a couple of weeks ago. What what type of player will we see today in Todd Gurley? How much will he be used? Uh, I think it'll be interesting to figure that out, you know, because, Ken, what happened here is that C.J. Anderson was the one who was sort of more getting into the rhythm with the carries. But even with just the snaps, if you look at it that way, Todd Gurley played 32 to C.J. Anderson's 37. So it was more what Todd Gurley was doing in that game was pass protection. And Mm -hmm. so he had some real critical blocks. 
But yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about Todd Gurley's production, you know, you're probably going to see more than four carries for 10 yards. I think in an ideal world, you, you see more about what you did with the Cowboys in that divisional round where both of those guys had over 100 yards. You can tell that the Rams were controlling the game. They were dictating the game through the ground. So I, I, I think that he's going to have more touches. I think that he could be more involved, you know, it, just from an entire standpoint that – I. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see how exactly it works out because Steve Anderson, to be honest with you, has played really, really well since the Rams signed him back in Week 16. Yeah, he has. Miles Simmons joining us on the show, Team Insider for the L.A. Rams, Rams.com. Find him on Twitter, at Miles A. Simmons. Can we trust Jared Goff in a moment like this? He passed the test a couple of weeks ago, but this isn't that wasn't the Super Bowl. This is a different animal against a different team. It's a different animal. It's against a different team, but that was maybe as uh, you know as adverse an environment that you could possibly be in in New Orleans. I've never been in a stadium that loud, Ken. And, uh, you know, it's interesting about the Superdome is that because it's a dome, the press box is open. But I could not hear anybody that was like three maybe inches away from me so you know you're just trying to say something you have to wait until the Saints are on offense because that was the only time that they were quiet and so the Super Bowl is not going to be that loud of an environment I think it'll still be a really good environment just for from a game standpoint but it's not going to be that so if Jared Goff and the offense can come back from you know down 13 points at that Superdome, which is probably the wildest environment that they've ever played in, I think he'll be all right in this one. It's just the difference is, you know, you're going against Bill Belichick, who is, you know, he's the greatest co- head coach in NFL history, and we all know what he does in terms of being a chameleon on defense and just doing different things, presenting different looks. That is the bigger challenge. See, that's the interesting thing, because I think if it was Kansas City that you were playing today, I, I would give you a much better shot. And, and I, again, I think it's going to be a close game. But I do think that Tom Brady and the Patriots, they sometimes win games on their aura, and that it's not just the Patriots that you're playing, it's their history, it's a mystique uh, that you're playing against. That's why when, when the Eagles beat them, it makes it that much bigger. When the Giants obviously beat them, go ask Eli Manning's entire resume, uh, that made it that much bigger. Is it, is it still a worry? that it's too too soon with a team that's maybe too young or with a staff that's too young with the L.A. Rams taking on a team that is as grizzled as a veteran you could find in this postseason and in this game like the New England Patriots? You know, I think that was the same question you had to ask about the Eagles last year, right? And I think that especially when the Eagles were using a backup quarterback, that was why you all kind of, I mean, everybody kind of felt, I kind of felt that in the end, New England was going to win that game, but New England didn't win that game. And I think you have to come in with an aggressive mindset. You have to come in thinking that you're going to attack, thinking that as much as you can, you're going to dictate um, what it is that's going on out there on the field. And that's the mindset that Sean McVay has. And, you know, despite the fact that he's 33 years old, he's got guys with a ton of experience on his staff. You know, Wade Phillips, a defensive coordinator, of course. You know, he's 71. He's been coaching in this league since before Sean McVay was even born. Uh, you've got also guys like run game coordinator and offensive line coach Aaron Cromer, who have won a Super Bowl. Defensive line coach Bill Johnson also won a Super Bowl. Both of those guys were with the Saints when they did it in 2009. So there's a lot of experience experience on this team with this staff and that's what I think Sean McVay has been leaning on not just you know in preparation for this game but throughout the course 
of the postseason. And you know, if there's a reason to be confident you know, going into it for the LA Rams, it's that you have a lot of guys on the staff who are very smart and can come up with good game plans. What is Greg Zerline? How's he going to be feeling today? I, I think Greg Zerline's fine. You know, I, I was at practice um, throughout the course of the week, and I saw him kick, and he, he looked fine. And Sean yeah. McVay said that. And so if you're looking at Greg Zerline, it, it was a left plant foot issue. He was able to kick yeah. through it really in the NFC Championship game. And Sean McVay made the joke, you know, like he didn't seem like it affected him, did it, you know, because he had a 48-yarder to tie the game and then a 57-yarder to win it. So he should be fine. Miles Simmons joining us on the show. So what time are you headed over to the stadium? Uh, I think like one thirty. One thirty. Uh, now, if you're staff, yeah. do you go on it like they – because for the Browns, there's like team buses, but, you know, those are regular season one o'clock games, not the Super Bowl. Maybe you're in right. a couple years. We'll see how Baker does. But either way, um, what what is the protocol? Are you going on with the team? Are you Do you, do you ride with part of the team over there? What do you do? So usually there is a staff bus. Um, and there are like, I don't know, there are even more buses than usual. So I'm going to be on an earlier bus than the ones that usually depart all at the same time. Um, so usually I think there's only like around five, four or five buses. Now nah, there's so many. I mean, because you've got all kinds of people. You've got staff, you've got yeah. family, friends. So there's a, it's, a, it's an interesting bus situation. An interesting bus like situation. Yes, an yeah. interesting uh, bus situation, to say the <laughs> least. Miles Simmons joining us on the show. Find him on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. He's the team insider for the L.A. Rams. I wish there was a prop on the over-under amount of buses that the, that the Rams could use. If they were to win, because you were with this franchise, Miles, you've been there with, a, with them for a couple years now. Uh, yeah, you yeah, were with them. Yeah, you were with them during the move. Uh, for yeah. the people who've worked for the franchise, I know it's a delicate issue because there's St. Louis fans and now there's L.A. fans. And I saw the video of your rally that Wade Phillips took. It was pretty good for the two seconds that it was there. Um, what would it mean? What, what would a Super Bowl mean? Is, is there a vindication? What's what's the word that describes it, Miles, for for not just the staff, but obviously the fan base that are maybe left over from St. Louis, but certainly back in L.A.? You know, there's also a substantial fan base that was left over, you know, from when the team moved from L.A. to St. Louis in 1995. And so I think for them, I don't know if vindication is the right word, but there's maybe it's not redemption either. I I, I wish that, you know, I thought about that before you asked me, Ken, because it it is a good question. I don't know how I could quite boil it down to one word, but I, I can tell you that, it's going to be a great feeling, especially for those people who stuck with the team um, through the St. Louis years, who, who you know were fans of Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, those guys from the greatest show on turf, but you know still had a feeling of, well, you know, this is not necessarily our team because it's not from our hometown. And there is a large element of right now, you know, people who have been following the team for years and years and then been passed down, but then there's also this element of okay, you've got this newest generation in Los Angeles, and this, there, nobody who's had a football team of their own in Los Angeles for basically 20 years. How do you then capture the imaginations of everybody, capture the hearts and minds of people? And so from that standpoint, I mean, how better to do that than to have a Lombardi trophy that you can say, hey, Los Angeles, this is yours. So I think, you know, if the Rams win, that's going to be obviously a tremendous feeling, and that's something that hopefully, you know, will help 
you know, really reestablish that fan base and keep it growing for, for years to come. I only got a couple of minutes left with you, Miles, but I got to ask this before you go. Jared Goff, we always talk about when it comes to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, there's an argument. And usually for a lot of other teams, it's quarterback, then coach. For Jared Goff, it's different. Now he's third year in, obviously he can throw very, very well, but we always put Sean McVay before him. Not that there's any pettiness with Sean McVay, but do you think that there's maybe some disrespect, a feeling of that, or maybe even being a chip put on his shoulder that, well, what would you do without Sean McVay? And maybe Jared Goff's looking to prove something like that today. It's an interesting question, Ken, but the the feeling and the sense that I've got from Jared, you know, having covered him since he got into the league is like, that's just not really what his personality is. He's just not really that guy. And, you know, there's this sense of California cool that everybody always talks about with him. And I, I have found it to be extremely genuine. And it's not that, you know, he's not a competitive person because he, he really is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, it, that's not the stuff that concerns him. I mean, whenever somebody will ask, you know, a question that's sort of like that, it happened after the, uh, the NFC title game where somebody was like, you know, Jerry, do you think that you've taken maybe a next step in this or that? And, he replied, you know, that's for you guys to write about. I don't, that's not, it's not something that he really concerns himself with. And so, you know, I think that he's about winning games. And if you win the Super Bowl as a quarterback, like that's what people are going to talk about. And so even if, you know, people are going to say more about Sean McVay or whatever the case may be, I think, you know, if from that standpoint, it's almost like, what, what do we say about Sean Payton and Drew Brees? And it's not like Drew Brees wasn't a great quarterback before he got, to New Orleans, but at the same time, Sean Payton has been an offensive mastermind for years, and Sean Payton is really one of the biggest reasons why Drew Brees is successful. I I think good coach-quarterback pairings, that's the way it always is. So, you know, he says, but as masterful as Sean Payton is designing things, Drew Brees has still got to go out and execute it. And to me, that's where I see this relationship thing between Sean Payton, excuse me, Sean McVay and Jared Goff. Miles, we thank you very much. It's weird. I can't wish you good luck because you're not playing, but you know I'm pulling for you, buddy. Hopefully it's a wonderful experience for you today. All the best. Very proud of you. We'll talk to you again soon, bud. I appreciate it, Ken. All the best. Miles Simmons joining us on the show. Team Insider, LA Rams. Find him on Twitter, at Miles A. Simmons. I want to break that down when we come back because I do think there's going to be a chip on his shoulder at some point about that. 855-212-4CBS. Also, if the Rams win... It's time to ask more of your franchise. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.